This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, it's July and the hot weather's here. Some weeks ago, we enjoyed a great conversation with members of the Narmouth Ambulance Company discussing various topics, including when you should call for an ambulance, and what to do while you wait for help. They did such a great job that we invited them back this week to talk about those emergency situations more likely to happen during this hot and humid weather. First, a return visit from Mr. Al Davey. With over 23 years as a nationally registered staff paramedic, he's held many leadership positions, including deputy chief and now executive director of Narberth Ambulance. Later, we'll hear from Dr. Danielle Levine, emergency medicine physician from the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania and the assistant medical director of Norbert Ambulance. Heat illness. There's a spectrum of conditions related to heat illness that can come with or without exertion. Exertional heat illness is among the leading causes of death in young athletes every year, most commonly football. The CDC found that it occurs both during practice and competition and notices a disturbing trend of increasing incidence. But along with athletes, we need to focus on others who also exert themselves in the heat, military personnel, firefighters, construction workers, resulting either from physical effort beyond their level of fitness or training in extreme heat. Welcome, Al. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be a part of the conversation. So let's start with exertional heat illness in general. It's a spectrum, correct, that includes heat exhaustion, heat injury, heat stroke? Yeah, just like first-degree burns, second-degree burns, third-degree burns, and escalating, so does heat emergency. Mm -hmm. And I think we should jump right to the most extreme situation because we know that heat exhaustion and heat injury, which might be, as you, a great parallel there, lesser or less severe, can move pretty quickly to the most severe. Um, So let's start by defining heat stroke. Sure. Um, Simply put, uh, heat stroke is when the body has exhausted every bit of fluid. I mean, 
while we all know the body is 60% water, what we don't realize is the brain is 75% water. and The heart is 79% water. The two things we need the most. And so they're the ones to give up the most when we get dry. And so whether we've exerted ourselves too much or there's a condition where we've been unable to find cooler temperatures, the body suffers. When we see that, and that's usually when the ambulance is involved, we arrive to the patient's house. Sometimes it's completely sealed up and they're inside literally just roasting. Um, Sometimes they are people who are in completely good health, but they've overexerted themselves in a workout. The goal here is we have to identify those who are emergent. Uh, Heat stroke is quite simple. Your body is cooking. Your skin is hot and dry. Your mental status is weak. You're breathing fast to try and breathe off this heat. You may have had a seizure. You may be unresponsive. Um, And in its worst, you might have passed away. So we treat these heat strokes as the top, top priority for us. Because from what I've read and what I understand, uh, the cardiovascular system, your heart beats more quickly when you're hot, and that's because it's pumping the blood to your skin surface so you can perspire because sweat is the way to cool off your body. So if you're sending all your blood to the surface, you're taking it away from your organs like your bowel, and that's why you can get cramping in your belly. You're taking it away from your kidneys. Your liver is susceptible, your heart, and that's why in its extreme, multiple organs can be affected. Um and lead to, as you say, death, if not uh, liver, uh, organ transplant, et cetera. So the two main criteria, if I understand correctly, the body temp has to be above what level? So while the human body can tolerate many different temperatures, uh, when we get above 105, that's a red flag for us. Now, given we usually don't take your temperature, we look at your mm-hmm. symptoms. We're not putting a thermometer uh, anywhere near you. We are assessing it based on your mental condition and those kinds of things. And sometimes Medical conditions sometimes interfere with these. If you're sick, if you have heart disease, if you have breathing problems, diabetes, all sorts of things that make it difficult for you, your body to operate normally. Um, And then sometimes it's as simple as limited mobility. When we have that person inside the house, you know, they don't have the ability to run around and open up the windows or the windows are sealed Mm -hmm. shut. Or conversely, all the windows are open and there's no air conditioning. And no matter how Mm -hmm. much we see the fan blowing 100 degree air on a person. That's not cooling you off. So the main things that uh, you use to identify the definition of stroke are the core body temp, even though you might not take it when you're there, is 104, 105. And there's neurologic involvement. And that can be uh, confusion, headache, irritability, um, altered consciousness, even coma, or even a seizure, right? And But as you say, too, um, if blood is being robbed from the internal organs, a person might have nausea or vomiting, diarrhea, uh, dry mouth, muscle cramps. Any of those issues are, are going to be red flags. So what increases the risk? Because we talked about exertional, meaning young athletes or military personnel working out in the heat. But you're also describing elderly people who might be in a situation where they, they don't have air conditioning and or even little children left in a car. Tell us about the, what increases the risk. Sure. Uh, Norbert Ambulance did a special with uh, ABC News uh, where we actually mm-hmm. put a correspondent in a car and kind of sealed up the windows. And, and we were even able to see EKG changes uh, within a very, very healthy correspondent. So we've watched it happen live in the back of our ambulance. Luckily, it was a promotional thing and we had our truck standing by should anything had gone wrong. But 
you know, extreme ages of young and old. I mean, we do not talk about, you know, the kids that are in the car enough. Um, and that's a reality. And so, uh, ex- you know, the, the edges of the age range are things where we get concerned as well. Mm-hmm. So if we think of sweating as being a way to um, dissipate heat, that evaporation cools us off to an extent, uh, a little child has less surface area. They have less skin to get rid of that heat, right? And an elderly person, their bodily functions are slower to begin with. So it's that um, those age extremes that we have to be especially careful and I guess if somebody's not in good shape or if they're overweight, I mean like obese, or if they have some other acute illness, if your body's dealing with fever already, um, your brain is getting mixed signals because sometimes, um, and, and even certain medications can impair sweating, right? And then you don't have that, that um, additional ability to try to get rid of the heat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are looking at you know, your body... When we take firemen out of hot scenes and we need to rehab them, the misting fan is our key. So it's literally the breeze plus this little spray on the front. And so it makes you wet and then we blow you dry and it makes you cool. It's the number one way we rehab firefighters or in heavy, heavy coats in very hot situations. But mm-hmm. to the medication aspect, anything that dries you out is a re- is something we should be aware of. So, you know, diuretics for people with lung issues. And decongestants for allergy stuff. There's even some antihistamines that do it really aggressively. And it can be just as simple as psychiatric meds as well. Mm -hmm. They all have to dry out. And I would think that they too sometimes can decrease a person's perception of fatigue. Let's say it's an athlete and they're taking, um, I don't know, um, amphetamines. uh, Or a person might be on lithium. They might not feel tired as quickly as somebody who's not on those meds. And I have to look that look this up, but I know certain dietary supplements can impair sweating as well. So make sure, uh, I always tell my patients, make sure before you just buy over-the-counter supplements, you talk to your doctor. So again, let's talk about the um, symptoms and signs that come with heat stroke. So you want to basically focus on what they look like. The first thing that we notice is, and what most people notice is a change of mental status. They're not, they're not right. And as the blood gets less and less fluid in, it becomes harder for that, that blood to move around. And so it's sludgy and it's thick and there's not a lot of quick thinking. You put that with a hot temperature and it's heat exhaustion, obviously, as long as the outside or the inside meet, you know, to the paramedic, that it is hot. It all kind of goes together. So our telltale sign is if we start reversing that, we ultimately start to make them feel better. We realize we had a heat emergency. And I know that the rectal temp is the only one you can really count on. And as you say, you can't do that on the spot all the time. But when they get to the hospital, they'll do that. But sometimes it's uh, the amount of time between the time when you meet the patient and you get them to the hospital. Cooling them is probably more important as the first step than transferring them, yes? Oh, uh, absolutely. You have to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, The temperature. The temperature reducing is the key. So putting cold packs in their groin, putting it under their armpits, putting it in the back of their neck. That doesn't even have to be cold packs. It could be a cool towel that you got water out of the tap. Um, For an advanced level, for an ambulance, we're going to wrap cold packs around the IV fluid and we're going to put that inside the body. So just like the thermometer checks the core temperature, cool IV fluid uh, given through an arm will uh, accelerate the way in which they get colder and 
and hopefully reverse the symptoms we see. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more on heat stroke therapy. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. And from Narberth Ambulance Company, Al Davey has taught us so much about heat stroke, what the red flags are, and how to treat it. So, Al, we want to get this very hot person cooled off as quickly as possible because um, I think also the severity of the illness might not be apparent when you first see the patient. Am I right? I think a lot of times they used to say, um, if it's heat stroke, there's no sweating involved. There, there are old wives' tales that, that we should uh, dispel as well. Yeah, I mean, usually we don't get a call from the person who's having the emergency. They think they can muddle through. We get it from a family member or a friend who checks in on them or somebody who witnesses them pass out. So until the ambulance gets there, the layperson can just start this cooling process themselves. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have ice cold water. You don't have to do that. You can just put cool things, anything that changes that temperature from 105 down, putting a towel under a sink water, wrapping it around the back of their neck. Just remember to change it because they're going to heat up that 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 water that's trying to cool them down, constantly rotating it. For the ambulance, we pour water onto bath sheets. We put water onto the sheets that we use for the stretcher and then drape them over the patient to keep them cool. You can do that before the ambulance even arrives you may see changes for the better in a patient's condition. Pretty quickly. And of course, you're going to remove any equipment or excess clothing that they're wearing. You want to immerse them in ice water would be the ideal. But short of that, maybe take a, a, a hose with cool water and just keep uh, rinsing the person. If you do use cold, wet towels, you need to change them about every three minutes or so. Yes. Or, it or wrap, happens fast. Yes. Mm -hmm, wrap them in a, top, a tarp with ice. Um uh, as you said, cold packs behind their neck, in the axillae, which is the groin, or under their arms. And you want to cool the patient till you see them shiver. And um, you want to get their temperature down pretty quickly because what we understand is morbidity, meaning severe illness and death, are directly related to the duration of that core temperature elevation. So we have to move, move quickly because the lesser conditions, which are heat exhaustion, when the temp is maybe 101 to 104, would you say? And yeah, they can manage. They manage yeah. so much better. They can still drink and bring cool stuff inside. Again, it's better mm -hmm. to put it in the stomach than on the skin because mm -hmm. you're warming, you're cooling the, the central core, but anything in the right direction, getting them, honestly, sometimes just getting them out of where they are and taking them to somewhere in the shade 
Mm-hmm. Somewhere where there's an air conditioner, you know, when we tell seniors to head to senior centers or walk the mall, mm-hmm. those are real smart ideas. Very smart. And they the, the distinction of heat exhaustion, there is no significant neurologic manifestation of altered right. uh, consciousness or confusion. And you're still sweating. Yes. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Let's talk about a patient who's rescued from near drowning. Of course, if they're unconscious, we're going to check whether we need to do CPR. Are there any other special steps related to being pulled from the water that are unlike other situations when you have to uh, go to CPR? Sure. I mean, once you've decided the patient has no pulse and has uh, no breathing and you begin CPR, I will tell you that there's more success in in a water resuscitation because it wasn't a failure of the internal systems. Their heart didn't go, their lungs didn't go. And as a result, they tend to do better and are easily and more easily resuscitated. They don't have any broken equipment that caused the cardiac arrest. It was a drowning incident. So what I still focus on is good CPR and getting that AED. That will help restart that heart. And mm-hmm. in a pool, luckily most pools that are that, I, that we deal with, uh, AEDs are within a, a, a five minute uh, brisk walk. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get the AED on even before the ambulance usually gets there. So but, there's there's no additional step like turning them over at what we call in the hospital pulmonary toilet, like sort of pounding on their back in case of water because that's not what's making them drown. It's that they have aspirated and their brain is saying stop breathing, right? Yeah, we're our focus mainly is you put enough positive pressure into that into that airway and you start opening up those lungs again, you're going to get the response of the patient, you know, turning around. You put that, you prime that pump with good air, a good compression, and then ultimately you start that car with the uh, you start that engine back up with the AED. Mm-hmm. Because we've heard about the national shortage of lifeguards, so the pools are closing if they don't have coverage. It's the beaches that I'm worried about. Uh, you know, we go to the shore and we see the lifeguard stands are farther apart. So please pay attention to your any of your family members in in the uh, ocean and maybe open that cold beer when you get home. You're not supposed to drink on the beach anyway, but we need you to be alert and watching your family members. How about severe sunburn? Um, there are certain meds that make our skin more sensitive, but we used to say cool, uh, moist uh, towels on sunburn. Now what do we say? Yeah, I mean, sunburn for all its intents and purposes is a first degree burn. Mm-hmm. And we need to take it seriously. When you start to see the, you know, the little bubbles and blistering, that's a second degree burn. This is just because it didn't come from a fire or a scald. It's not a reason to not take it seriously. So for us, you know, you want to keep it protected. If the skin's intact, keep dry dressings just to keep it, you know, protected because it's lost its ability and sometimes its integrity. And so it can be an infection site. And if these are blisters and they burst, then you need to basically protect them with dry sterile gauze. Our goal is to try and make sure that the patient heals and doesn't pick up, you know, an external infection that could make the healing process delayed or even need uh, medications mm-hmm. to assist. And we chatted earlier. We know that there are several antibiotics that can make your skin more sensitive to the sun, like tetracycline. Um, but you were saying also the birth control pill. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Cipro is Cipro and tetracycline. Those are big antibiotics that are going to cause you tremendous burns. Even if you put an SPF of 50 or higher, that's not, but um, don't be surprised if, you know, you're taking naproxen, you know, Aleve or ibuprofen, Advil, uh, or even mm-hmm. birth control. They have components that allow um, for the sun to kind of kick your butt. So that means if you were putting uh, sunscreen on, it still mm-hmm. might not be mm-hmm. enough. Um, managing, managing reapplications are going to be much higher for you, just like it would be for a young child. 
That skin is very I learned vulnerable. when we spoke last that, of course, our listeners need to know they can take CPR courses, either basic or advanced life support through Norbeth Ambulance. But you also teach a course called Stop the Bleed. I want to give you a few minutes with that. But before we jump to that, fireworks, please don't light your own fireworks. And if you do, what are a couple quick things we want to say? Um, simply put, there is no mm -hmm. safe firework. We are talking about gunpowder. We are talking about derivatives that are designed to explode. We shouldn't spend any time with them. And the regulation on them is not so great. So what is inside might not be what it is. Um, if you must, and I understand how much fun it is, leave it to the professionals. But if you feel the overwhelming need to buy that big pack at the Costco, uh, try and put as much distance between you and the product itself. If that's extending the wicks, if that is you know using just even distance lighters where it gives you a couple seconds. There is no safe distance. Every year in the ER, we see people that lose fingers, that, that lose their eyes, for goodness sake. We were talking about somebody who has a joke, put one on their head, and, and they died, right? Yeah, yeah. we don't play with this. Uh, we were very lucky for 2022 not to have one. Uh, everybody must have done safe or, or didn't. And in the pandemic, we saw a lot more last year when people had nothing mm -hmm. to do but stay home and mm -hmm. blow things up. So. We stay vigilant on this, but honestly, most of the damage is done before we yeah. get there. Our job is to try and do what they so have when we arrive. Now, with all the um, gun violence and even knife wounds, stop the bleed. Tell us about that, if you would. Uh, Norbert Amos is pretty passionate about this. We've been teaching Stop the Bleed, which is basically a simple course that lasts about five minutes to teach it and about five minutes of hands-on. And you learn all the priorities of direct pressure to stop an initial bleed, uh, learning how to put a pressure dressing on, which is very simple. It's just basically an ace bandage. And then ultimately learning tourniquet uh, training, where you learn to tie something off. When I grew up and when I was learning early in my life, tourniquets were, this is what you put on as a last ditch effort. Medicine has evolved. Putting a tourniquet on, you can leave it on for up to four hours. And as long as you get to a trauma center, they're going to open that back up, solve that problem, and you're going to be able to keep that extremity. So it's not the red flag mm -hmm. it used to be, but a quick information session to kind of give someone the ability to save a life. And honestly, it's not about guns or knives sometimes. The one we just used a couple months ago, a person caught their diabetic shunt oh. in a car door, ripped oh. it right off, and we, taught, we put mm -hmm. the tourniquet on. We took it to the hospital, they stitched it back in, and everything came back to normal. Like the person did not suffer, but the tourniquet there was no, where that was located, there was nothing mm -hmm. else that would have worked. And it does, it saved that person's life. I believe so if that. So if we're in a crowd, like we're hearing on the news, and you're near somebody who's been shot or with a knife wound, you take off your belt, you take off a shirt, and you tie it above the wound. So if they get hit in the calf, you're going to tie it on their thigh. Or, you know, above the wound is where you tie to stop the person from bleeding to death. What if they have a gunshot in their belly or their, their torso? Any suggestions for that to, to keep the you know, keep, maximize their safety? Sure. Well, above all, I'm asking you not to become a victim. So if it's still an unsafe scene, I'm sorry for that person who is injured. You mm -hmm. go hide. You go, but if you feel the need that you feel like the scene is safe or the threat's been neutralized and now you can help, absolutely grab that belt and tie it. You want to put it closer to the torso mm -hmm. as best. If you have a torso hit, you're going to basically take your hands and push hard. You're going to try and impede as much blood as possible to buy time. Okay, we have quick clot. We have all those kinds of things on the ambulance that can help us. But still, we're driving fast and headed to the hospital to to because this doesn't need medicine. Yeah. This needs surgery. Norbethambulance.org. We're going to announce that at the, again at the end. Al Davey, you're the best. Thank you for joining us and thank you for keeping all of us safe. Happy to help. 
And now for your real champion. I call this segment Family, Freedom, and Fireworks. Your real champion this week is Albert F. Davey. He has a bachelor's degree in science and he's a nationally registered paramedic. He's also the executive director of Narberth Ambulance Company. Al Davey dedicates his entire profession to helping people in emergency situations. And it takes a special person to stay calm when just about everyone around you at the scene has adrenaline levels that are flying. Al has shared so much great information today about emergencies that occur more commonly in summertime, heat stroke, severe sunburns, near drowning, many of which occur because of circumstances out of our control. But when we talk about safety, the key is making good decisions when circumstances are in our control, which leads us to this more detailed discussion about fireworks. We wanna celebrate the week of July 4th with a bang, and listen to the National Safety Council, which advises us to leave the fireworks to the professionals. They might be legal, but they're not safe. So Al, thanks for joining us. What is your main message about use of fireworks? Leave it to the professionals. I mean, that is kind of the the key. When we go to fire demonstrations in Narberth and Conshohocken, and you see the level of technical skill and the level of professionalism from those guys, that's what we're looking for. The thought that you know, what you bought at the 7-Eleven or that big pack at Costco, you know, believe me, you know, we don't trust that product per se, because we don't know where it came from. And we couple that with, we don't know exactly how it was assembled or how to safely manage that. So leave it to the professionals. And you know, when I'm, when I'm picturing walking into a store and your little kid saying, wow, look at that. You also don't know if inadvertently they got wet. As we look at the steps of safety if you do choose to attempt fireworks if they get wet or if you light one that doesn't go off you never relight it so let's go through the steps that you think are most important safety tips i mean simply put distance is our friend um so that the farther we are from the thing so holding it is a dead stick like we do not want you holding anything even something as simple as a sparkler you know can generate up to 2000 degrees i mean that's enough to melt steel. Like, so even something is that you think is an innocuous as a sparkler is dangerous. So putting a sparkler, putting it in the ground, being as far away from it as possible, it lessens that heat and impact that should be key. Because you always see TV ads or photographs, beautiful, the little child's face lit up holding a sparkler. But guess what? As you say, 2000 degrees is not fun, especially if a little child drops it on their foot or on their dress and then their their clothing ignites. And am I right, 25% plus of the emergency department visits are for fireworks injuries? I'm, so It's significant. I mean, in 2020, yeah. when everybody was cooped up uh, in COVID, mm. 26 deaths, the highest amount of fireworks in a while, and then almost okay. over 10,000 ER visits. So we're talking about a significant numbers of, not, of deaths. It got better last year as more people went to events and there was less deaths but still just as many ER admissions. We don't, yeah. it's a preventable issue. One that I would prefer yeah. you guys pack in the car and go watch them as yeah. opposed to try and put on your own little display. And it's a family bonding thing and, and you're in the community. That's the whole point of uh, celebrating as a community that we're all celebrating our freedom and, and the birthday of America. So of course we never want young children to handle fireworks. And we would hope that whoever is handling them isn't drinking alcohol or impaired by drugs. 
And the other thing that I think people forget, whether they're scraping paint off their walls or is to wear protective eye gear, right? Isn't that a big thing you tell people, protect your hands and eyes? Look, medicine in every capacity lives on a barrier, right? Put something between you and the patient, whether that's gloves, eye protection, all the way up to like masking. I mean, we just got through COVID. We've been separated too long. We all need to be together, but a barrier and, you know, putting a set of you know, heavy work gloves when you're doing all this stuff can protect you. Mm-hmm. Putting some kind of face shield for explosions. So the goal here is, you know, putting something between you and what you're mm-hmm. worried about. And I guess people think they're being funny. We talked last year about somebody put a firecracker on their head and their their hair caught fire. Remember Michael Jackson in the uh, the advertisement, the poor soul. But <laughs> of course, you never want to light a, a firecracker. You see people do them on the beach, which is probably one of the safer areas because there are no nearby bushes. And you never want to point one at somebody. That's not funny. It's not smart. But you want to keep it away from houses and flammable materials. Um, And let's talk, too, about if you light a dud, you don't want to try to relight it. Why is that? So simply put, you know, the best part about fireworks is that they're everywhere. They, They explode in many different directions. You cannot control it no matter where you are. So even on the beach... If the wind is intense, it'll blow over to where trash. Mm. So our concern is not so much, don't try to control something that is by nature uncontrollable. But the flip side of that is, you know, if you buy, you know, you get an Amazon package and the corner's dented, oh, it's okay. You open it up, you look and everything's fine. You don't know what damage that package may have sustained. So some of them might be duds within, you know, sometimes they package 20, 40, 50 of those in a sequence you know, that that impact from a packing or a shipping or just being on a shelf and being dropped, that ruins the integrity of how those things were connected and wired. So much so that, you know, those duds can become problems that you weren't anticipating and neither was the manufacturer given every possible uh, safety precaution. To the same thing, most fires, most fires we have found at July 4th, they've taken the fire, that the, the fireworks have gone off and they've thrown it in the trash thinking it was done. But oh, three of them did not light. And however, the heat that remains, they can reignite. <gasps> so we've had fires from not because during the event it took place, but because it was thrown out thinking that it was over. So if you have a dud, you're going to put it in a bucket of water and it, leave it, it soak for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Something that basically renders it completely shot and, and wet is you, beautiful. Yeah. And even if you don't have a dud, if they go off well... You want to keep a bucket of water nearby in case sparks fly. You're ready to throw it on a person or a, a dog or, you know, keep your pets in the house. And of course, don't light your fireworks inside. <laughs> and I guess the other good idea is to light one at a time. Yes. I mean, you follow what the manufacturer's recommending. Some of those are tiered together. But, you know, the key is when things go wrong, a water bucket is good, but it's a short thing. You should have a hose that's charged if you're outside and get it as close as you can. If you have a steady hose that you can then immediately start dousing people, you know, or you can start dousing the actual firework, all the better. And never use illegal fireworks. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania has gotten away from that because we're able to sell now in the state. So a lot of stuff of the the illegal stuff is going away because they don't have to sneak it in. It's legal. It's probably safer. But again, Find it at a store you trust, find it with some reputables, and look at the integrity of the product itself. And is the same hold for Jersey? Uh, yeah, so Jersey's had it before us. So the tri-state mm-hmm. area is pretty good, um, but follow the restrictions. Again, each municipal entity has their own firework regulations. 
So check mm-hmm. check your local townships regulations because they may be stricter or looser than the state. Probably not looser. Well, a very special happy birthday to America and a special thank you to you, Al Davey. And I want to remind our listeners, Narbeth Ambulance offers several courses for the community, basic life support, CPR, Stop the Bleed, which is your baby, and helps us learn what to do if a patient has been affected by gunshot or wound. Al Davey, thank you so much. You're a real champion. Happy to be a part of it today. Thanks, man. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor, and we're grateful to Al Davey, paramedic from Norbert Ambulance, who gave us great suggestions as we should be prepared for on the spot with heat illness, near drowning, and sunburn. And now Dr. Levine is going to talk to us about what happens when a patient does have a heat illness and they, they're brought to the hospital. Dr. Danielle Levine, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine from the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania and the Assistant Medical Director of Narberth Ambulance. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's nice to be here. So we talked about heat illness, uh, including a whole spectrum of conditions. Let's start with the, I guess from, they're all serious and the spectrum of those conditions and what happens when a patient is brought to the hospital? That's a great question. So the first thing we want to do is get the patient's core temperature. And unfortunately for our patients, usually that means a rectal temperature. And we also want to assess their symptoms. Heat-related illness actually encompasses a spectrum going from heat edema all the way to heat stroke. So starting with the most mild, heat edema is when you get swelling of your extremities. People might notice when they're outside in the heat, they notice their hands and feet get swollen. It's very mild. It's reversible. Basically, as soon as you cool off, the swelling is going to go down. Heat syncope is the next next, uh, illness on the spectrum. So This is a constellation of many symptoms that can include syncope, that is passing out, dizziness, and feeling lightheaded when you stand up. Again, the treatment for this is moving the patient to a cooler environment. And if they're in the hospital, we want to sit the patient up and we'll give them some IV fluids to help replete their their intravascular volume. If the patient can tolerate fluids orally, then we can give them salt-containing fluids or something like Gatorade, Powerade, or Pedialyte. The next step on our heat-related illness spectrum 
is heat tetany, and that refers to spontaneous muscle spasms. This this arises from when you're breathing too fast from hyperventilation due to heat stress. And people can feel muscle spasms, sometimes even paresthesias around their lips. So your lips are going to feel numb. Once again, we want to put you in a cooler environment. And sometimes we'll give you IV fluids that just might help patients feel symptomatically better. Next up, we have heat cramps. This is basically when your skeletal muscles, such as your quads and your calves, start cramping up. This is usually from heavy sweating, and we can reverse this with rehydrating patients. So again, with oral electrolyte solution or with IV fluids. And again, moving a patient into a cooler environment. You're starting to see a theme here. Then we get to heat exhaustion. And this occurs when patients' core temperature, so that temperature we measure from a rectal temperature, gets pretty high, close to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. And patients Mm -hmm. can feel lightheaded, fatigued, have a headache, nausea, sweating, feel very weak. They they are extremely sweaty. They're flushed. And again, we want to rapidly cool the patient, apply ice packs, possibly put them in an ice water bath, and and rehydrate them with IV fluids or, or oral electrolyte solution. The most serious heat-related illness is heat stroke. There's some overlap between heat exhaustion and heat stroke, but heat stroke is really when your core temperature is more than 104 degrees Fahrenheit, and you start to get symptoms of organ failure. Um, The hallmark of this is when you develop altered mental status. So you're very confused. You can be in a coma. You can even have seizures. Um, interestingly, some people with heat stroke sweat and some people don't. Some people have totally, totally exhausted their supply, their fluid supply, and are no longer able to sweat. Um, and like I said, this can lead to organ failure across multiple organs, and it's pretty deadly. In fact, in 2008, 29 people died in Pennsylvania from heat stroke. And that's the most recent data that I have. That's incredible. And I know that we, we can see people who exert themselves in the heat or even people that run marathons. I remember I lived in New York in the 80s, my husband and I. And um, I watched it the first year he worked. And the second year he joined, he, he did it. And they actually moved it um, between those two years because it was so hot into October, they moved it two weeks later uh, into you know later in the month, because of all the things you're describing, and and we talked earlier about those at risk. You you think of those exerting themselves in the heat, but people who don't have any exertion involved at all, the elderly or little children or even pets left in a car. After you explain that, it makes so much sense why people are at risk. Um, I think that what's interesting too is. Um, the chances for severe illness, organ failure, and uh, death are related to how long that super high temperature is there. And that's why cooling, cooling, cooling as quickly as possible is so important. And I guess, too, when a person comes to the emergency room, are there criteria that you use to decide 
whether you're going to keep them and watch them for a little bit or admit them to the hospital? Yeah. So absolutely. The, the first thing is what is their core temperature? If the temperature, if they come in with a heat related illness and their rectal temperature is 104 degrees Fahrenheit or greater, we are going to admit them to the hospital, keep them overnight, keep it, giving them fluids during, through an IV and cool them up until they get to a certain threshold where we feel like their body can continue cooling on their own. We obviously don't want to cool them mm-hmm. so much that they become hypothermic. But any... Well, that was a thought too. Can you cool a person too quickly? Is that a danger? Well, that's a great question. Can you cool a patient too quickly? No. In fact, you can't cool patients quickly mm-hmm. enough. What we will do is mm-hmm. put in a continuous rectal probe. And I know that sounds very uncomfortable, yes. but it's a very skinny probe no. that we want to measure your rectal temperature continuously. And when you get to a temperature yes, of 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit, this is typically where we stop cooling you. That still sounds pretty hot, actually, mm-hmm. 102.2 degrees mm-hmm. Fahrenheit. That's a fever. But that's where we stop cooling you because you're no longer uh, at a risk of that organ failure due to super high temperatures. And we think at that point, you can continue cooling on your own and you don't run. There's less of a risk of becoming too cold internally. And you've taken them out of the dangerous setting. I thought it was really interesting too. I was trying to do my homework before we got together and I looked to see if there are any specific medications, which I guess there aren't. And in fact, people need to know that the pathogenesis or the physiology of extreme heat uh, conditions like this, um, exposed to high temps, involves a different change in the brain than a fever does. So don't count on taking uh, a non-steroidal like um, Advil or Tylenol because that can actually worsen the complications. Am I right about that? That can actually worsen kidney or liver disease or uh, that's clotting? That's absolutely correct. In fact, one of the hallmarks of heat stroke is kidney and liver failure. Mm. And giving ibuprofen or Tylenol not only does nothing to help the condition, but it might actually exacerbate the kidney and liver problems. So the National Association of EMS Physicians, of which I'm a member, recommends rapid cooling by ice water immersion. So we literally can set up a tub and fill it with ice and stick the patient in there. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, for runners who run the Broad Street Run, in our medical tents, we actually have ice buckets that are ice baths that are actually set up for runners who come in and end up having elevated core temperatures. So our goal is to cool the patient with ice in situations where ice water immersion is not practical or it's impossible or the emergency department just can't find their giant bathtub, we'll put cold, wet towels all over the patient's body, including ice packs to their groin and their armpits. Mm -hmm. It's a start at least. And I guess too, there are so many changes, physiologic changes going on with a marathon runner or even somebody who's, say, standing at the tomb of the unknown soldier, uh, you know, a military uh, personnel that are standing in the heat in a hot woolen uniform, the veins dilate, the blood pools at their ankles. As you said, you can have just heat edema, and they can faint just from standing there because they're not moving. Or if somebody's been sitting for a while and they stand up too quickly, all those 
conditions are in the spectrum. So if a person recovers from a heat illness, are there specific guidelines, say, for these young athletes in football training? Uh, are there specific guidelines that allow uh, a young athlete to return to play? From an emergency department standpoint, we feel that once you leave the hospital, you should be fully symptom-free, your organ should be recovered, your vital signs should be completely normal, and you need to be cleared by a primary doctor or a sports medicine doctor before returning to play or returning mm -hmm. to running or what, ha or returning to work. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our wrap up with Dr. Danielle Levine from Penn. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Sarah Rivera, Director of Nursing from Recovery Centers of America, one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about Narcan. Narcan is a medication used as an antidote for overdose. An overdose occurs when a patient or individual takes an opioid in excess. Opioids impact the respiratory system, decreasing the rate and depth of breathing. The breath will become shallow or they stop breathing altogether. This is called an overdose. Some of the signs and symptoms of an overdose are are unresponsive to loud sound, being shaken or a sternal rub. The breathing is irregular and shallow, may even slow or stop. Skin will become gray or purple. Nail beds will become white. The pupils will become pinpoint. The body will become limp. Breathing will become gurgly. The patient may snore or you may hear some choking. Skin will become cold, clammy or diaphoretic. Regardless of if you are aware if the patient has overdosed or not, Narcan can be used. It comes intranasally in a name brand generally called Narcan. You can get this over-the-counter at the pharmacy in prescription or non-prescription form. When in doubt, it is safer to give Narcan. There are limited side effects. The benefits outweigh the risk of not giving Narcan. If the patient has a pulse and is not breathing or vice versa, it is okay to still administer Narcan. Every three minutes, you may give another dose as it is estimated that it takes EMTs seven to eight minutes to arrive on site. However, brain damage begins at four minutes. Risk factors for overdose include a new dealer not using for a period of time, new city residential location, new route of administration, medical conditions, age of the individual, combining it with other drugs, and using heroin that contains unknown and dangerous substances such as fentanyl. As you begin 2023 and look for a fresh start, reach out to Recovery Centers of America if you or one of your loved ones need help with alcohol or drugs. Call Call 1-877-938-0618 or visit recoverycentersofamerica.com backslash Devin. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. We're back for our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech, the first biotech company in the U.S. Dr. Daniel Levine, um, so happy to have you. And 
we learned a lot about what happens when a person with heat illness is brought to the emergency room and how you decide to keep them or not or, or let them go home. If, a, if an athlete uh, wants to return to play, you're right. They have to go back to their primary care doctor and make sure that they're symptom-free. Maybe the primary care doc will repeat labs if they had any difficulty with um, kidney function or any of those things that need follow-up, repeat x-rays, et cetera, and maybe say no exercise for at least seven days following that um, intensive medical care. Would you say that's a pretty good plan? Absolutely. That can be hard for some of our athletes, but it's pretty important. Mm -hmm. So what are your take-home messages for our listeners? Such important topics today. Well, a couple things. I want to reiterate what you said earlier about there being really two different types of heat stroke. There's the exertional heat stroke that we associate with our athletes, our firefighters, and people in the military, people who are just working hard as laborers. And that typically develops very rapidly when you're exerting yourself in a very hot environment, such as the summer heat. But we also have classic heat stroke, which occurs during heat strokes, and it, it occurs in the elderly, the disabled, children, even pets, people who are less likely to be able to move around or less likely to advocate for themselves. And this often occurs over days, not hours or minutes. So if you feel like grandma isn't acting right, but she's sort of the same as she was this morning, you can't necessarily rule out heat stroke. It could be that she hasn't been acting right for a few days, and this has just been developing very slowly. And the the elderly and the very young are actually even are just as likely to die, and sometimes even more likely to die because their organs are are a little bit more precarious. We said earlier, Al told us that. Um the numbers are almost six to one, that it's more likely the elderly and little children than what people think of the, the athlete who's at practice in August for the, uh, you know, the school year, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you really want to keep an eye on your elderly relatives, your elderly neighbors, especially when it gets hot. Um, if people don't have air conditioning or you know they're having trouble paying their bills, you really want to keep an eye on them. And this advice goes for everyone. Make sure you're hydrating well. If you need to leave the house to get out into the breeze, stand in the shade, whatever you can do to get yourself in a cooler environment throughout the summer. And again, hydrate well. If you're exerting yourself, drink Gatorade or other fluids that have electrolytes, specifically salt. And Really pay attention to your body. You know when you're not feeling well. And if you have these red flags that you see in your loved one, or as I say, your neighbor, um, remember that it's the duration of that temperature elevation that can really be dangerous. So the faster you get them to the right place, to an emergency room, the, the less likely they are to have organ damage, um, neuro signs that can be life-threatening, uh, the better. And don't think to give them... Tylenol or non-steroidals like Advil, right? Or aspirin, because that can make them worse. Absolutely. Avoid the Tylenol, aspirin, and Advil. Get them out of the hot environment and call 911. Mm -hmm. And if you think you're on any medications that could increase your sensitivity to the sun, we talked about that as well, like tetracyclines, um, birth control pills, 
that you're that you're going to get sunburn or be more likely to become overheated. That's important too. And I'm a big fan of reminding people, be very careful with dietary supplements because they can increase your risk for a lot of these conditions too, can't they? Yes, absolutely. If there's anything that has been prescribed to you, talk to the doctor who prescribed it if you're worried about sun exposure. And absolutely, I'm very wary of dietary supplements. With a few exceptions, we don't prescribe them to our patients out of the ER. Talk to your doctor about any dietary supplements you want to take. Well, we want everybody to be very well hydrated for the Ardmore Rock and Ride, which is August 20th. And it's a day of fun. And I, I'm so happy that I learned that that Norbeth Ambulance is not just something that our taxes pay for. It's a private company that covers five um, counties. That's a lot of people and a lot of ambulance rides a year. And we can't, you can't do it for free and pats on the back. We need money to keep Norbeth Ambulance in business because you're saving lives literally. August 20th, tell us a little bit about that. People can find out how to go through Ardmore Rock and Ride. Uh, they can Google that or NorbethAmbulance.org. Yeah, and just a correction, uh, we actually serve five towns, not five counties. We operate in Delaware and Montgomery counties. We serve Lower Marion, Narberth Borough, West Conshohocken, Conshohocken, and Haverford Township. Oh, I had the five right. Anyway. You had the five right. <laughs> five kingdoms, five queendoms. Well, it's a lot of people that benefit from your hard work. And Ardmore Rock and Ride, August 20, 2020, 20, August 20. Everybody should go and support it. And we also encourage people to become members of Norbeth Ambulance. And why is that? Well, when you become a member, your contribution helps us be able to staff our ambulances, have the most up-to-date equipment, and invest in invest in you. Our goal is to be able to have speedy response times when you call 911 and be able to provide you the utmost, the best care we can. And no worries if you're not a member, we, re- we treat every patient equally, but we, we really want your support. Yeah, people are surprised when they get a bill for the ambulance, but if you're a member, your bill is much lesser because it's like an insurance policy. With that, we thank you so much for joining us. And- NarbethAmbulance.org. Become a member and support August 20th. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. You can hear this show again, Your Real Champion, the addiction segment, and all of our shows on odyssey.com or on our website, yourradiodoctor.net. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross and for support from Recovery Centers of America. Please think about what we discussed today. Fireworks are awesome, especially when we enjoy them and avoid injury from them. And remember, while you're at the pool or the beach, keep a very close eye on family members in the water, especially your little ones. And if you're watching children, wait till you get home to crack open that can of beer. It'll taste a whole lot better. We hope you enjoy continuing the celebration of July 4th, the birthday of our nation. God bless all of you, and God bless America. This is your radio doctor, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. 
Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.